Gracious Almighty God, you are the one who is so gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Indeed, there is none like you in the heavens or the earth. A God, as the scriptures say, with his faithfulness all around him. Oh God, you show such graciousness to us in every way. We pray even as we see um, Christ choosing his apostles this morning, we pray that we would see that Christ loves to choose those who are low. Christ loves to choose those uh, who are of nothing in the world, that indeed he might get all the glory. Even as I preach this morning, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that indeed I may not speak just my own words, but that I may speak from your word and teach your word in your truth, and that we may all be built up uh, in, in Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. I encourage you, if you've got a Bible in front of you, to turn to uh, Mark 3. Uh, usually, as you know, I preach uh, through parables, uh, but to, uh, this time uh, I am preaching through uh, Mark chapter 3. Uh, Mark chapter 3, verses 13 to 21. Mark 3, verses 13 to 21. If you've got one of the pew Bibles, that can be found on page uh, 992. Mark 3, starting at verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Well, we come to our passage this morning in Mark chapter 3. Uh, And this morning, it's about Christ choosing his 12 apostles. Out of all his followers, out of all those who followed him, the hundreds uh, or even thousands who followed him, he picked 12. 12 men. Out of all those whom he could have picked, he picked 12. Why these men? Well, as we'll have a look, this passage contains many rich insights into the free and rich mercy of God and how he graciously chooses common men ordinary men to do his extraordinary work and by extension he chooses us common people to do his extraordinary work now many bosses kings queens captains team leaders anyone else in authority when they're picking people under them they have to pick wisely when they choose whom they want to follow them or to work for them they have to pick wisely If you are selecting people to be part of your organization, your country, your team, your close friends, you choose very, very carefully. If you choose unwisely, then it can often end disastrously. But what we'll see here is that Christ chooses not according to human principles, but according to his. And we're going to have a look at three different points as we go through this passage. Firstly, the choosing of Christ's apostles. 
in verses 13 to uh, the first part of verse 14, the choosing of Christ's apostles. Next, we'll see the task of Christ's apostles in verses 14 uh, to 15. And then next, the lives of Christ's apostles, verses 16 uh, to the end. Let's have a look firstly at the choosing of Christ's apostles. Have a look with me at again at verses 13 and the first part of verse 14. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, designating them apostles. Well, the first thing we see there is that Jesus went up on a mountainside. He went up on a mountain, and Jesus often did this to teach or to pray. If you look throughout the accounts in the Gospels, this is what he often went on a mountain for. He would often spend all night in prayer. He would give the sermon on the mount to all the crowds following him. But why did he, why did he do this? Well, some say that you go up on, uh, Christ went up on a mountain because it's, in one sense, closer to God. You see throughout the scriptures with Mount Sinai and, and other mountains that, that often God meets his people on mountains, and that's a possibility. But even so, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray. And as we see in Luke's account in chapter 6, verse 12, before Jesus chose these disciples, before Jesus chose these apostles, he spent the whole night in prayer Why? Because he sought God's wisdom for one of the greatest decisions that he would have in his earthly life. Because these 12 apostles would become the very foundation of his church. They would be the writers of much of the New Testament scripture. It was a vital decision. Christ's body, his people, his spiritual house and temple would be built on this very foundation. But we see Jesus' very choice in the next words. It says, and call to him those whom he wanted. And that word there, wanted, it's those that, those that he desired, those that he wished to pick. It's, it's not like he, he just closed his eyes and, and picked randomly and, and hoped for the best. No, he knew whom he was picking, those whom he purposed. And that word there, appointed, it's a, it's a very simple word. It's, it's, it's the word which means to make Back in chapter 1, verse 17, Christ said, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And even though in one sense it is a very simple and common word that is used, it means that Christ is the one who would make them apostles. It wasn't them who would take upon themselves this apostleship. Even as we have seen throughout church history, those who are, who are false, those who claim to be an apostle, uh, even, even the Pope is, is called an apostle. But Christ is the one who makes apostles. He purposes and he makes. He desires and he appoints. Speaking of salvation in John 15 verse 16, and we see many parallels between the choosing of the apostles and salvation. When Christ called the apostles and when Christ calls us to salvation. And in John 15 verse 16, Jesus said, You did not choose me, but I chose you that you should go and bear fruit. The same principle applies here as he chooses them for ministry. And as we will see, he chooses them and appoints them that they might go and that they might bear fruit. When God chooses for salvation, for ministry, or wherever he places us, or whatever situations he brings across our paths, it is according to his prerogative, is according to his purpose. 
and for his design. In Daniel 4.35, it says that he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. None can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? It is not, it's not according to uh, the apostles. It's, it's not according to their merits or their work. Or, or maybe they, they caught Jesus' eye and he said, yeah, you. No, it's Christ's decision out of his free grace and mercy. As Michael read out for us uh, in 1 Samuel 16, the Lord brought Samuel the prophet to Jesse's house uh, to choose a replacement king instead of Saul. And, and God says these words. He says, I have provided for myself a king among his sons, Jesse's sons. Notice those words that I have provided for myself. It's God's choice. Though in this chapter you see Jesse and even Samuel choose their favorites. Or, or uh, Jesse and, uh, brings all his sons and arrays them before Samuel. But guess what? He leaves out David. He leaves out David. And when Samuel invites Jesse and his sons, who does Jesse bring with him? All his sons except David. David is an afterthought. Even Samuel looks on the outward appearance and not the heart. Again and again, with all of David's brothers, it says, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Why? Because it is the Lord who chooses. And in choosing the leaders of his people, Christ has to pass over other disciples. It is his choice. And that's why we use the language of being called to the ministry. We see a special call, a special call for those whom God chooses to lead his church. And God works through his church to make these decisions as well. But it is a special call as God gives them the ability to teach and to rule he gives them the character necessary. He gives them a desire to shepherd his people. And Christ chooses his leaders. It is not for them to presume it among, uh, for themselves. And it's a serious and important work to which they are called. And that is what the elders of this church, that is what we seek to remind ourselves every, every elders meeting. And more often than that, that is the serious work that we are called to. It is not a light matter to shepherd the people of God, to shepherd this church. It's a work that we're called to for the glory of God and for the good of everyone in this church. In choosing these men, Christ is also sending a message to the leaders of Israel that Jesus had rejected them. Why? Because the leaders of Israel at that time were unregenerate. They were the blind leading the blind. They tied burdens to God's people that they couldn't bear. They were self-righteous. And so Christ... In choosing his apostles, didn't choose these religious leaders. In one sense, we would expect them to. They, they had the knowledge. They had the status. They had the, maybe the experience. And yet God chose these, these 12 fishermen and other things, tax collectors and other things as we will see. He chose these 12 nobodies with no experience in ministry. And I'm not saying experience in ministry isn't a good thing. But Christ chose those whom you wouldn't expect to be his apostles. We also see, if you, if you notice there, it says they came to him. We kind of gloss over it and we kind of read over it and go, okay, they came to him. But can you imagine? These, they were just leaving their livelihoods. They were giving up their job like that and they had families to provide for, I'm sure. It says they came to him, they left everything. Why? Because Christ was worth following. 
Because when Christ says, come, follow me, you don't think twice, you come, follow him. May we be willing to follow him wherever he leads us. So not only do we see the choosing of Christ's apostles, but we also see the task of Christ's apostles. What were they to do? Have a look with me back at the text, verses 14 to 15. He says, He designated them apostles that they might be with him, that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast or drive out demons. This was their task. This was their mission. Now that word there, apostles, uh, it does appear as well in the parallel accounts in Matthew 10 and Luke 6, but in some accounts it's it's not actually here in the text in, in some manuscripts. And yet the word here is important. And the word here means ones who are sent. And in one sense, there were many apostles. A king would send out, send out, send out anyone, a, a delegation or, or an ambassador, and they would be an apostle. They would be a sent one. And those whom that, that, that person authority sent out, they would come with his authority. They would go with his authority. What they would speak would be his message. And their lives and the way they acted would represent and reflect on the one who sent them out. So in one sense, it was very important whom Christ would choose for his apostles. And as we see through the accounts, in one sense, it doesn't seem like a good choice in the accounts. But we see later on that that Christ's choice was, in fact, very wise because Christ changes them himself. Now, in Luke 10, 16, it says this. The one, and this is speaking to those, uh, to the apostles, he says, The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects uh, me, rejects the one uh, who sent me. Now, these apostles would be the very foundation of the church, as I said before. In Ephesians 2, verse 20, it says that the foundation of the church is the apostles and the New Testament uh, and the New Testament prophets. But they would also be the writers of the New Testament scriptures. All the other books that are not written specifically by the apostles were those who were associated with the apostles. And that that was one of the the tests of of, of the books being received in the canon and and recognized as scripture. Not that we make them scripture, but we recognize them as scripture. In 1 John 1 verses 2 to 3, John says this. He says, the life, Jesus, he's speaking about, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. Now we'll have a looking at having a look at this passage. What would these apostles do? Well, the first thing there, if you, if you see it there, is that they would be with him. And that's important. But ever think about this. Weren't they already with him in one sense? And weren't there many others who would also be with him through the rest of his earthly ministry? Maybe the 70 or 72 that Jesus sent out later. Or even just the crowds who were, who were around Jesus. No, they would be around him. They would be with him in a special way. In a close way. In an intimate way which others were not. For they would learn in a much deeper way from his words and his actions. They would have a close relationship with him. And it was out of this that the rest of their ministry came. They had to first be with him before they could be sent out to preach. 
Now, it's only in chapter 6, three chapters later, that they were actually sent out. And we'll see here that Christ would send them out, but they had to be with him first before they would be sent out to preach. They needed to be with him and learn from him first. And they would still serve him in various ways, but before they went out to preach, there was a period of training first. And that's important for us, because in whatever way that we want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, we must make sure that we, that we are much with him. Even to this very day, even though we cannot see him, we have his word. And it's from him that we get any spiritual strength that we have. As the apostles did, we must learn from his words. We must learn from his character. We must talk much with him through prayer. We must sit at his feet. This is what the disciples had day in and day out. Such a privilege. And even though we do not see him now, we love him. And we can spend time with him in his word and in prayer. And we see in his word, how did he interact with sinners? How did he care for his sheep? How did he evangelize the lost? How did he preach? What were his his priorities? How did he pray? And it's exactly what the disciples asked him. Lord, teach us to pray. How did he conduct himself righteously and uprightly? And the thing is, they were his eyewitnesses. As Peter said in 2 Peter 1.16, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They followed Christ and they saw everything. The thing is, the earthly ministry of Christ was, was like the kindling, was like the laying of the kindling and, and small sticks for a fire. It, it was the starter bits to the fire. And you've got to lay it down. It's an essential part of the fire. And it's got to be laid first. And his death and his resurrection added bigger sticks to the fire and great logs to the fire. And then they would learn more even after Christ's ascension as the Holy Spirit was given to them. The thing is, everything was essential. And when the Spirit came down on them, they, it caused this well-laid wood, this kindling, the sticks and the logs to catch fire and ignite a passion in them for the, for the glory of Christ. Even straight after this choosing of the apostles in verse 20, Jesus is hard-pressed by the multitude and the disciples see the the all-absorbing nature of the ministry and that others would see, often even your own family as we see there, they would say he is out of his mind. So Christ chose these apostles to be with him, that they would see how he walked, how he talked, they would see the all-absorbing nature of his ministry. What was the result of being with him? What was the result of being with him? In Acts 4.13, it says this. Now when they, which is the Jewish rulers and elders and scribes, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What did being with Jesus result in? Confidence not in themselves, in God. Knowledge, boldness, and a singular eye for Christ. As it says all throughout Acts, in in, in that chapter, it says they did things in his name. Well, let's have a look. After they were with him, what did did he send them out to do? Have Have a look with me here. It says that he sent them out to preach. That word there means to herald or to proclaim, to make a public declaration. 
an official announcement by a herald. And again, you don't speak your own words when you go out as a herald. You speak the words of the one who sent you. And that's what they were going to go out for. They were to be faithful in delivering the message. As Christ preached, so the apostles would also preach. As Christ preached the kingdom and the gospel of the kingdom, so they would preach the gospel of the kingdom. And what it means to be saved. What it means to live in the kingdom as one under the lordship of Christ. And after the, after the ascension of Christ, after all his work and his death and resurrection, their message would be filled out, it would be deepened and clarified. And they would continue to preach just as Christ did. What's the next thing? Have a look with me there. It says that he gave them authority to drive out demons. Now, the ability to drive out demons was an authority that ultimately rested in Christ alone. If you remember, the the demons were only afraid of Christ. In Acts 19, verses 13 to 16, it reads this about the sons of Sceva. And it's quite a hilarious account, but it's actually very important. It says this, Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook, because they wanted to, undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. The evil spirit knew Jesus, and Paul, who was an apostle, one who came in the authority of Christ. Why? Because Jesus gave this authority to his apostles. We see this, this, this outworking in, in Mark chapter 6, as I said before. They, they, Jesus sends them out two by two. And what do they do? They proclaim that people should repent. And they cast out demons and they heal. And as Hebrews 2 tells us, these signs about the healing and casting out of demons. It says in Hebrews 2, it says, It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. The apostles preached, and God bore witness to their message through healing and through the authority to cast out demons. So that was what they were, that's what they were sent out to do. That was the task of Christ's apostles. But as we have a look now at the lives of Christ's apostles, I want you to think as we go through them, is there anything of you in them? Because I can guarantee you that there is. There is me in them. And we will see that even though they are nobodies, Christ chooses them out of his free grace and his mercy. These apostles were all from varying backgrounds. As John MacArthur says, as many as seven of them were fishermen. One was a tax collector, another a freedom fighter. None of them had received a formal theological education. Yet when Jesus was done with them, those who started out as learners, as disciples, became sent ones or apostles. They were his ambassadors, his representatives and his heralds. He sovereignly selected them. He personally discipled them. He radically transformed them and he empowered them with his spirit. Close quote. God chose ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. 
Now, we know varying amounts about each apostle, with the most information about Jesus' closest apostles. Or the first uh, of which is named there is Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Now, we all know about Peter. He was an impulsive man, and often a proud man, and quick to, to impulsive and quick to, to put forward his opinion and to, and to say. And, and in one sense, this could be good as he, uh, when he gives a declaration about who Christ is, but often it was not good. He was impulsive. We see this impulsiveness when he, when he leaps out of the boat uh, at the end of the Gospels, when he, when he says, Christ, you know, tell me to come to you, and, and he starts to walk on the water. He rebukes Jesus. He lashes out with his sword and cuts off uh, a man's ear. He denies Jesus, but then he speaks on Pentecost. So we see there at the beginning, though he was impulsive, it, in one sense it was bad, this impulsiveness that, that marred him at first, was good because he would be used by Christ to be the spokesman. If you remember in, in, in early Acts, uh, when, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, who is the first to speak? It's Peter. And he, he gives witness to, to Christ and who Christ is and, and the glorious truth of the resurrection. And this man, it says that he was named Peter. This name Petros means rock. And it's a sign by Jesus of what Jesus wanted him to become. He was a pillar of the early church, along with James and John. It says in Galatians 2 verse 9, he was a pillar of the early church. And aside from Paul, he was the predominant preacher among the apostles. And Christ, as I said, used his impulsiveness and his strength of will and used it for good. And along with James and John, he was often taken by Jesus without the other disciples. For example, at the transfiguration or in the house of Jairus, and to be nearer to him when he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Next to James and John. These were like two peas in a pod. They were brothers. They were fishermen and sons of Zebedee, who was also a fisherman. They were named sons of thunder or Boanerges, likely by Jesus either for their hot-headedness. For example, in Luke 9, verse 54, they presumptuously asked Christ, if he can tell fire to come down from heaven and consume a village of the Samaritans. Or because of their loud voices. Sons of thunder. Now James was the first apostle to die from persecution. But John was the longest surviving and last to die of all the apostles. John always referred to himself in his gospel as the one whom Jesus loved. The one whom Jesus loved. And we see here a sign of humility and gratitude. Different from his earlier self, if you remember the accounts of him wanting to be great among the apostles with his brother. In fact, Christ transformed their affections. And instead of being quick to anger, they became inflamed for Christ with a warm zeal. And their loud voices were no longer... Uh, were no longer put to calling down fire on heaven, but they were used for good in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Next, we have Andrew, the brother of Peter, and he was originally a disciple of John the Baptist, who was often seen bringing people to Jesus. He was often seen bringing people to Jesus. And even though he didn't have a prominent position in that sense, like Peter, who was, who was out there proclaiming the gospel, we see throughout Acts, he was seen bringing people to to Jesus, whether his brother Peter or the boy with five loaves and two fish and some Greeks who wanted to see Jesus 
And even if you do not preach the gospel outwardly and publicly, as Joel or myself or others do, you can still bring people to Christ. You can still point them to Christ. Even in the smallest of ways, you can bring them to Christ. Next was Philip. He was from Bethsaida, like, like the brothers Andrew and Peter. And this literally meant house of fishing. Now, he invited Nathaniel in John 1. And he was also asked by the Greeks to see Jesus. And so in that sense, like, like Andrew, he was an evangelist. He was tested by Jesus in John 6. But like the other disciples, disciples he was thick-headed, not realizing the full identity of who Christ was during his earthly ministry. In John 6, verse 7, Jesus asks him about, and this is the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus asks him about providing food, and he has no idea. And Jesus was testing him to see whether he would recognize that Christ was able to provide. And in John 14, verse 8, we see again that he didn't recognize Christ as the Son of God. And like the other disciples, as I said, he was full of unbelief. He was doubting. And is that not exactly like us so often? Next, there's Bartholomew. And this is a surname which means son of Tolmai. And in John's gospel, he is called Nathaniel. So Bartholomew, Nathaniel, same person. And as Jesus said, he is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So he definitely spoke his mind. As he said about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, he is from Canaan in Galilee, which was a very, very small town, a commonplace. And he was friends with Philip, as we see in John 1. Next, we have Matthew. In Matthew 10, verse 3, it says that he was a tax collector called Levi. Originally despised due to his occupation, he gained far much more in the service of Christ. Though he was seeking after earthly riches before, he sought after the riches later on that were found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Instead of loving money, he came to love Christ. Thomas, his nickname was Didymus, which means twin. He had unbelief mixed with pessimism at times. He, he predicted in John's Gospel that they would all die with Jesus when Jesus was going up to the festival. And then in not believing in Jesus when he had risen from the dead. And that's what he's famous for, uh, as being known for. And yet, in one sense, I, I think we shouldn't remember him necessarily as doubting Thomas. But he gives one of the clearest expressions in Scripture of Christ's deity. When he sees the risen Christ, he says, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. So even though he was filled with unbelief and pessimism, he gave one of the truest expressions of faith ever given in Scripture. James, son of Alphaeus, not much is known about him. He was also called James the Less. Uh, maybe he was humble, maybe he uh, was short in some way, as some suggest, but he certainly was not significant in that sense. But Thaddeus, uh, also known as Judas, not Iscariot, it's, it's funny when it says not Iscariot, he's, he's the good Judas, as it mentions in Scripture. Thaddeus, Judas, son of James. Then next we have Simon the Zealot, not Simon Peter, but Simon the Zealot. Now he was an anti-Roman revolutionary. And it was an interesting sign of diversity that he was with Matthew in Jesus' closest band of followers, the apostles. Because we have an anti-Roman zealot and we have, a Levi, uh, we have Levi, Matthew, a tax collector who had sold himself out to the Romans. 
We see the beautiful peace and harmony that the gospel brings. We see the glorious unity that Christ brings in the gospel. And instead of seeking to build a physical Jewish kingdom through force, we would see that through the preaching of the gospel, he would be sent out by Jesus to build Christ's spiritual kingdom. And lastly, we see Judas Iscariot. He betrayed Jesus. He was called a devil and a son of destruction. Some of the worst names and terms given in Scripture. And even though he was so close to Christ, his greed showed him to be rotten to the core. He used to help himself to the money bag, it said. And then he lusted after 30 silver pieces in return for giving the Son of God, the King of glory, over to the Jews. All of these apostles were common in their status. They were common in their birth. They were common in their background and where they lived. They were common in their learning, in their country, in their occupation, and in their giftedness. They were all common, ordinary men, just like us. And as we have a look at them, I want to bring out some things that we can learn about them more from this passage. Well, first, a knowledge of Christ does not equate with being in Christ and truly following him. We see, as we just saw in Judas, an example of someone who had the, the best possible exposure. He was with Christ himself. He was sat under the best preaching ever to exist in the history of the universe. And yet his heart remained dead. His heart remained dead. He knew who Christ was intellectually. As it says in the scripture, even the demons do and they shudder. He had heard Christ preaching. Some hearts remain so hardened even against the strongest and best preaching. And what preaching can compare with that of Christ our Lord? And I want to ask you this morning, is that you? Is that you? A religious hypocrite? I know I was up until university. I sat in church and I said the right things. I looked like a Christian on the outside, like Judas. None of the other apostles suspected Judas. Jesus said one of them would betray him and they had no idea. Is that you? Is that you this morning? Are you a religious hypocrite? You have been so much in church and you've been in the presence of Christians and you've heard the word preached and you've read God's word, and yet your heart remains cold and dead. Let it not be so, for you'll find that your knowledge will only serve to increase your guilt on judgment day. Christ says that even Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes had they heard as much as you have. And yet do you remain content in your sins? Can you sit and listen to this with complacency? You have even more knowledge of Christ's work than even Judas did. Judas did not see Jesus die, for he hanged himself. He did not see Jesus rise from the dead, because even if he did, he would still not believe. And yet, we have more knowledge than Judas, far much more. We have the whole New Testament. And if this is you this morning, a religious hypocrite, friends, don't let that remain you. Repent. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give up the greed. Give up, give up a love of self or whatever it is that you love so much more than the Lord Jesus Christ. For we saw that, that uh, Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, he loved money. 
We saw that others are full of unbelief. And yet when Christ was finished with them, he turned them from, from those who were living in their sin and loving their sin to those who did not want to live in their sin and those who loved him. Maybe you are a Christian here this morning, as many of us are, and maybe you see some of yourself in these apostles. Maybe you're impulsive like Peter. Maybe you're too quick to, to speak like Peter. Maybe your mouth just runs ahead of yourself and you say silly things sometimes. Maybe you're hot-headed and, and, and proud like James and John, always wanting to be the best, always wanting to be preeminent and to be recognized for what you do. Maybe you're thick-headed, weak in faith, doubting. Like all of the apostles were called, as we all are at times. Friends, if these are things that you see in your life, firstly, repent. Ask the Lord for help to put them to death by his spirit, as it says in the scriptures. And then ask him for the strength to, 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 to live for him. And be encouraged. Notice where these apostles came from. Notice what sin they have. And notice what he transformed them into, what he changed them into by his spirit. Because he has promised to do the same to you and me if we're Christians. And if you're a Christian, be encouraged as well that God uses the most common of people. The apostles didn't come from important backgrounds. They were ignoble. They were despised. Some were enemies of others originally. They were, they were all common. They were nobodies in the world. And yet they were precious to Christ. They were precious to Christ. In fact, the more common and weak you are, the more glory goes to him. Have you ever thought about that? In one sense, when, you, when you're discouraged about, about how low and weak and, 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 and uh, how useless you seem, that's great. That's great, because all the more glory goes to God. All the more glory goes to Him. Christ said this in Matthew 11. He says, he says, Thank you, Father, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children, for such was your gracious will. In 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26-29, Paul says that God chose what is low and weak and despised in the world. Why? So that no one would boast in themselves. As it says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. The thing is, Christ picks his team. Christ picks his team. And you're standing there in that line, wondering if Christ will pick you in that sense. Maybe, you're, maybe you've been in this situation before where you've been wanting to be picked for a sports team, but maybe you're not very good at that sport. Maybe you're not very good at soccer or whatever it is. Maybe you want to be picked for a job and they, they pass you over. And yet that's not how Christ works in his kingdom. That's not how Christ works in his kingdom. You don't have to be stronger. You don't have to be more intelligent. You don't have to have more money. All you have to be is anything. There's no conditions to be in the kingdom. There's no conditions to be used by Christ. In fact, the only condition is that you cast yourself on him and depend on him and, and turn and be like children, as Christ said. Christ chooses ordinary people to do his extraordinary work. What a glorious truth it is that the king of glory, he, didn't, he doesn't even need us. And just as he chose ordinary men to be his apostles, he gloriously chooses us, ordinary people, to be with him and to do his extraordinary work. Let's come before our God in prayer.
Heavenly Father, we praise you. We praise you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that Christ was given not for the righteous, those who, who are self-righteous, those who, who think they're good. But Christ came for sinners to call them to repentance. We thank you that you did not send down Christ for those who were wise and understanding in the ways of the world, but to little children like us. Indeed, Christ, we thank you so much that just as you chose as apostles, so we, we see your free grace and mercy, your undeserving mercy given to sinners, and in the same way, not only have you chosen us for salvation, but you've called us to serve you. We who are weak, we who are low, we who are despised in the world, common people, ordinary people, to do your extraordinary work. Oh Lord, I pray for those who may be sitting here or listening, oh God, and they've been so long operating under the disguise or, or uh, superficiality of being saved and yet do not truly know what it means to be with you, the Lord, uh, you, Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that indeed your spirit would do a mighty work upon their heart. Draw them to you and help them to come to you. Call them to follow you and work in their hearts by your spirit. Indeed, Lord, I pray for those who are saved, that indeed we can enjoy this blessed truth. Help us to revel and enjoy your, your free grace and your mercy as we see how undeserving, how common we are. May we take joy in this because all the glory goes to you. Indeed, may all things be for your glory. And in your name I pray these things. Amen.